The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. It is an honor to uh, share the word week by week, and um, it's exciting this morning. I'm looking forward to what God has for us. So I heard there was an amazing race yesterday among the young adults, and I heard the guys won. Just saying. <laughs> so, and uh, good news is no, <clears throat> no accidents. I think that's the other good news, so way to go. So right now, as we sit here, I think the India team is about ready to go to bed uh, in Ali, no, in Jaigon, in Jaigon. They are um, getting ready for their last conference starting tomorrow morning. And uh, so pray for them that the Lord would bless as they, uh, they've made their trip already from Alipurduar to Jaigon and uh, heard a report from Doug this morning about their church service that already took place and how, how blessing it was. Three of them shared testimony, some of them sang, one of them preached, and uh, they're really encouraged by what's going on. Uh, pray for them next Saturday morning. They arrive back here, and they're going to be tired. So don't ask them all those questions on Sunday morning, you know, that are in your insert. They're going to have a tough time. <clears throat> so praise the Lord for that team. <clears throat> it has been 11 weeks since we stood on the property at McGilvery together on the weekend of September 10 and 11, and we started our capital campaign and uh, on the evening, the Saturday evening, we, we had, the guys had made this roped off uh, footprint of the future building that we envisioned, and, and uh, we went to the various extremities, and we had prayer groups that were praying about the different areas of ministry that we hope God will provide in the future of our ministry here at White Ridge Baptist Church. And um, that evening, I shared with you about the life of Abraham, and it always astounds me that in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, where we have that great hall of faith, heroes of the faith in the Old Testament, that um, among all the, the ones that are mentioned, most of them get one story, one snapshot of their life and their, their faith in God, but Abraham gets three. Abraham gets three stories in Hebrews 11, and uh, it I shared that night that I wonder which of the three kinds of faith that Abraham is commended for are we most asked to demonstrate in this season of our life as a church as we get ready to vote in the next meeting right after the service about whether to sell this building and move on with the construction and, and go into that season of our life. You'll remember that the three stories of Abraham's life that are found in Hebrews chapter 11... Number one, we called it the get-up-and-leave faith. Abraham had been part a, of an of a, of a idolatrous people in Ur of the Chaldeans. His forefathers had worshipped the moon and the sun. And God had said to him, the true living God met with him and said, leave your forefathers, leave the land, and go to the land that I will show you. Get up and leave faith. The second kind of faith that we talked about and that we see in Abraham was the, was the standstill and wait faith. This is when Abraham is 75 years of age. We read in Genesis chapter 15 that God had promised that out of Abraham he would, he would build a nation of Israel and that, that all nations through that nation would be blessed on earth. And yet here at the age of 75, he has no child yet. 
And it wouldn't be until he is 100 years old, 25 years later, that God would fulfill his promise. And at the age of 75, God was saying, stand still and wait, faith. And then the third story that we read about in, in Hebrews 11 is that time when having had Isaac, the child of promise, God says to Abraham, go to that Mount Moriah and offer a sacrifice there. And when he gets there, he discovers that God is saying, offer your only son. And God in his provision before the knife comes down, stops and stays the hand of Abraham and provides a ram that is caught in the thicket nearby. And it becomes this incredible picture in the Old Testament of God in the New Testament, offering his only son, Jesus. And the faith that there is, is referred to there is that, that surrender and sacrifice kind of faith. So the question I ask us as a congregation is, on this occasion, as we get ready to vote about this matter before the Lord, is it a, a, a get-up-and-leave faith that God calls us to right now? Is it a stand-still-and-wait kind of faith? Or is it a surrender-and-sacrifice kind of faith? Or is it a combination of all three? We pray that God will lead us, that we will grow in faith. Many of you have said to me, this has indeed already been a journey of faith. We've called this campaign a season of growing together. We've seen that. We've seen, I've heard answers to prayer. I've seen God do some great things in our midst. I believe it's just the beginning of many great things that God wants to provide for us. And then we've seen the provision in the pledges. We thank the Lord for that. We, I thank you for your stewardship of what God has given and so on. And regardless of the outcome of this afternoon, I believe that God is going to keep us in a new season of growing together. Well, today we, we end our ser series on the life of Solomon. And we next week begin Advent and Christmas and in the new year, I'm looking forward to preaching through the, the entire book of Acts. We feel that God has brought us to this place. We, we need to learn, like the early church had to learn, how to listen to the Holy Spirit, how to walk with the Holy Spirit, how to follow Him. Look forward to that study. And today, as we conclude, I, I want to wrap up the life of Solomon. Now, I, I want you to know that because as we preached last week, I had, some, I had extra time to think about this sermon, and I was back and forth. And In fact, this sermon has been a moving target right up until this morning. On Tuesday morning, I shared with the staff where I was at, and at that point in time, I was, the sermon was going to sound like this. Ten lessons I learned from Solomon. They discouraged me. <laughs> they said that if you opened your bulletin this morning and saw a ten-point sermon, you wouldn't listen. So I didn't say that. I might still fit in 10 points, but I... <laughs> sure better if you don't know the whole journey. Isn't it right? Isn't it true? Isn't it good that God doesn't give us the whole journey ahead of time? Sometimes He only gives you enough light for the next step. And you follow Him because it's a journey of faith. Well, let's begin. Let's take a look at Solomon. Listen, first of all, to an extra-biblical account and description of the life of Solomon that was written years after he had died. How wise you were when you were young, 
overflowing with instruction like the Nile in flood stage. Your understanding covered the whole earth and like a sea filled it with knowledge. Your fame reached distant coasts and you were beloved for your peaceful reign. But you abandoned yourself to women. You gave them dominion over your body. You brought a stain upon your glory. You brought shame upon your marriage bed, wrath upon your descendants, and groaning upon your deathbed. Thus, two governments came into being. That is a quote from the book of Sirach, later called Ecclesiasticus, not to be confused with the book of Ecclesiastes found in our Bible. That book is from of the collection of about 15 books that are called the Apocrypha, which means hidden. It is those books that are found in Catholic Bibles. They decided to include them, but in church councils throughout the age, they, they decided not to include those books in our Protestant Bibles. There are various reasons for that. One of the reasons was because Jesus and the apostles and the New Testament writers never quote from any of the books of the Apocrypha. Another reason is because as the books were studied one by one, there were indications of doctrinal error that did not stand upon the apostles' teaching and the pure gospel of grace that we find in the New Testament. And so they were excluded from our Bible. And yet, nevertheless, I want to say that they, they are worthy of historical commentary. Just as you would pick up a commentary today that talks about Solomon, here's a commentary that's closer in its generation to, to Solomon than any writer today, and he is speaking of what he saw and heard about Solomon. It's a damning legacy, isn't it, as he writes. Now let's take a look at what the Scriptures have to say. And would you open your Bibles in the First Kings chapter 11? And chapter 11 of 1 Kings, I would like to read a few verses uh, that kind of give a survey of the end of Solomon's life. 1 Kings chapter 11, and would you stand with me and listen to what the Word of God says. 1 Kings chapter 11, let's begin with verse 9. The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. And although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. So the Lord said to Solomon, Since this is your attitude and you have not kept my covenant and my decrees which I commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Nevertheless, for the sake of David your father, I will not do it during your lifetime. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. Yet I will not tear the whole kingdom from him, but will give him one tribe for the sake of David my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. And then the Lord raised up against Solomon an adversary, Hadad the Edomite, from the royal line of Edom. Would you skip now with me to verse 23? And God raised up against Solomon another adversary, Rezon, son of Eliada, who had fled from his master, Hadadesar, king of Zobah. And verse 26. Also Jeroboam, son of Nebat, rebelled against the king. He was one of Solomon's officials, an Ephraimite from Zerada, and his mother was a widow named Zerah. And now 
to verse, uh, to verse 41. As for the other events of Solomon's reign, all he did and the wisdom he displayed, are they not written in the book of the annals of Solomon? Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all Israel 40 years. Then he rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David, his father, and Rehoboam, his son, succeeded him as king. May God bless his word. You may be seated. Now, examples come to us in all kinds of shapes and sizes. There are good examples and bad examples. I have kind of my own mental list of my own Hebrews chapter 11 of some of the heroes of my faith that I've seen over the years that God providentially has put in my life. I have seen how they've walked with God and stayed faithful, and I want to emulate that. I've also kind of got a mental list of other people in my life that God has providentially put there, and I would call them fools. And I have learned also from them. You might, if you just think for a moment right now, you might be able to think of your own list of those that would be heroes of faith in your life that you would want to emulate. And you would also maybe have in your mind some people that you know that God has placed in your life and you don't want to be like them. I think Solomon's life largely is a paradox and for many reasons we we don't want to emulate the, the example of Solomon. His life has been given to us as a warning. And last week, Azar shared the Word of God, and he, he shared various things that we could learn from Solomon, the life of Solomon, the legacy of Solomon. I want to move quickly through mentioning some of the things that Azar mentioned, and then I want to get to the second half of my message this morning, which is having to do with things that we can learn about God. Azar mentioned last week about the stewardship of gifts, that God has given each of us gifts as he gave to Solomon wealth and wisdom, and we, need, we will give an account of whether we squander those gifts on ourselves or whether we use them for others. Pat and I have friends that are we see once a year uh, during Mission Fest. They're founders of an organization called Nation at Prayer. They live in Ottawa. They, they organize prayer for our governments. And uh, Mel and Susan Finley wrote an article on, online about Solomon. It says this, There is a great lesson for us here. It is not enough to be able to distinguish right from wrong, not enough to know how to provide leadership, the very two things that Solomon asked God for. It is not enough to be wise. We need to have courage, determination, and tenacity to act according to the wisdom that God has given us. In short... Honor the Lord, endure in prayer, remain in a vital, close, and loving relationship with our Father. You'll be a good steward. A second lesson that, as I mentioned, was never stop praying for the next generation. Indeed, we live our lives in a continuum of, of people. We are somehow very dependent on the preceding generation and the new generation coming up are very dependent on us. And one of the things that God certainly wants us to grow in as we age is growing in prayer and intercession for the coming generation. Never stop praying for that next generation. Thirdly, do not marry an unbeliever. How true it is that Solomon's life is an indication of what, what an an incongruity at the fundamental relationship on earth led to. I love the book by Dan Allender called Intimate Allies. It's a book about marriage. 
It is a reminder that the marriage relationship is to be the most intimate, aligned relationship on earth. You cannot afford to not be aligned in your core values and beliefs as you enter marriage. It is too late to find out afterwards that there is an incompatibility of foundational matters. Incompatibility is often a, use, a word that's used for things like tastes and dislikes and personalities, but we're talking about an incompatibility at the very core where a different God is enthroned on the heart, a spiritual disunity that leads to corruption in the marriage. And I think, in case you think this doesn't apply to you because you're in a marriage that is, is equally yoked and is, is kindred in spirit, I want to ask you are, you, are you making use of that which God has given you, of your intimate ally? Are you an intimate ally in your Christian marriage? Do you nurture and grow one another in faith? Are you taking advantage of that most precious gift? Praying together, serving together, learning together, fellowshipping together, ministering together, leaving a legacy together that will far outlive your lives. That is a, a very important lesson we can learn from Solomon. Another one is compromise. We see that certainly in the life of Solomon. In chapter 3, we see a young man that seems to be humble, God-dependent. We see over time this, this slippery slide, this compromise take place. And in chapter 9, 20 years later, after building the temple and the royal palace, we see Solomon enamored with his own wisdom and his own wealth. In chapters 10 and 11, after some more years go by, we see four signs of that slippery slope. He becomes more self-absorbed. He becomes more entangled in the idolatry of his many wives. He becomes less concerned about others in his kingdom. And he becomes less aware of everybody that got him to the place where he was as this mighty wealthy king. Compromise. How can we learn from Solomon? Another lesson, as are referred to, was absence of accountability, the celebrity effect. How are we at inviting accountability into our lives? I love the book by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Living Life Together, where he talks about the fact that our true fellowship with one another is not as devout people, but as sinners. And yet he brings such balance because he says at the same, in the same chapter that we must be not so self-absorbed that we are constantly feeling our own spiritual pulse instead of getting our eyes up and breathing the fresh air of God's grace with each other. That's the importance of accountability. And then finally, I want to mention one lesson more is guard your heart. If Solomon teaches us anything, he teaches us Oh, what deceitfulness can come from riches, what lust can come upon our lives, covetousness, hunger for the praise of man, pride that can come in so many ways, and how much it is important that we guard our hearts. Well, as I said, our, our, my sermon this week has been a bit of a moving target, and I wanted to haste on, hasten on into the second half, and I thought I would be sharing various portions about what we learned about God. I could have talked about the sovereignty of God, how God sovereignly gave Solomon this seasoned time of favor with no wars around him and so on. I wanted to maybe talk about the severity of God, how, 
how severe God can be when he wants to rein in somebody that is erring from his presence. I wanted to talk maybe about the glory of God that we saw in the temple when the glory of God came down upon Israel at the dedication of the temple. I wanted to talk maybe about the heart of God, which is so incredibly inclined to every child of his that the moment they turn back and start getting a sense of where they've erred and come back to God, his arms are wide open. These are all ways that God is featured, is, is highlighted in the life of Solomon, I see it. But all of them and, and so much more are wrapped up in just one lesson I want to share today about God, and that is the covenant love of God. And we will spend the next few minutes just talking about that very lesson, the covenant love of God. I want to clarify at the beginning, I was talking with a friend last night, and uh, I just want to clarify I am not talking about covenant theology, which perhaps not, is not really even a theology, but more of a system of looking at the Bible and redemptive history. I'm not talking about covenant theology. When I say a covenant of love that God made, I'm talking about exactly the way the Scripture uses the words covenant and promise like that. That's all. I'm not talking about anything else. The scriptures talk about a covenant that God made with Noah. Remember that? I'll never flood the whole earth like this again. The scriptures talk about a covenant that God made with Abraham. He said, I'm going to make you into a great nation. The scriptures talk about a covenant that God made with Moses, and then one with David. And then finally in Jeremiah is prophesied this new covenant that God would make with his people, and he would write it on our hearts and it would come to fulfillment through Jesus Christ. So let us talk then about Solomon in regards to the covenant love of God. And what do we have to learn? I want to begin by asking you a question. Here's the question. Who did God make the covenant with that Solomon became a part of? Who did God make a covenant with that Solomon came under? David. David is the one that God made the covenant with. In fact, the, the scriptures do not even say clearly that God made a covenant with Solomon. He didn't. The covenant that applied to Solomon was a, a covenant made to his father, David. That's why in the scriptures, for example, in 1 Kings chapter 8, Solomon says, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who with his own hand has fulfilled the promise to my father, David. If, he, if it would have been a covenant for him, he would have said to me in verse 15, or sorry, in verse 23 of 1 Kings 8, he's praying and Solomon says, O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth below. You who keep your covenant of love with your servants who continue wholeheartedly in your way, you have kept your promise to your servant David, my father. Later on in 1 Kings chapter 11, the passage that I read, what does God say to Solomon? He says, I will certainly tear the kingdom away from you, and I'll give it to one of your subordinates. Nevertheless, for the sake of David, your father. It doesn't say for your sake, Solomon. He says, for the sake of David, your father, I will not do it in your lifetime, and I will not take the whole kingdom away. Later on in chapter 11, we see it used two more times for the sake of David, my servant. You see, God never makes a covenant with Solomon. Solomon's covenant is in his, under his father, David. Solomon had a covering. 
Solomon was the benefactor. Solomon was under the covenant that God made with David. What does this teach us today? Well, it teaches us that we only relate to God through covenant. And the new covenant that we read of in Scripture is through Jesus Christ, the son of David. That in Jesus Christ, the the covenant God made with us was ratified with the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. And everyone who seeks shelter, everyone who seeks shelter under that covenant of grace will be protected by that relationship promise that God made with His Son, Jesus Christ. And though like Solomon we sin against the Lord and we violate our end of the covenant, grace reminds us that the covenant God maintains is for the sake of Christ, just as the covenant that God maintained with Solomon was for the sake of David. Now, I want to anticipate that some of you are thinking right now, okay, so will I or will I not see Solomon in heaven? It's a, it's a fair question. I've heard it danced around in the last few weeks in the sermon series. Will I or will I not see Solomon in heaven? We do not find in the Scriptures a definitive place where the Bible explicitly states the the repentance of Solomon like we do with King David after he'd sinned. We do see a, 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 a turning back in Ecclesiastes 12 at the later years if indeed Solomon is the writer of Ecclesiastes. But there are other indications that I would like to point you to that I think give indication why I believe we're going to see Solomon in heaven. And if I'm wrong, I'll be very sad about that. But the other indications come from the Word of God and the covenant love of God. One of them is found in 1 Chronicles chapter 17. And in verse 13 of 1 Chronicles 17, this is what God said to David. God said to David that he would not be the one to build the temple, but that it would be his son. And in verse 13, it says, He is the one who will build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever, and I will be his father, and he will be my son, and I will never take my love from him. I will never take my love from him. This passage is talking specifically about one man, Solomon. I will never take my love from him. As I took it from your predecessor, Saul. Another more explicit passage is found in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And again, a parallel text, 2 Samuel chapter 7 verse 12. God says, when your days are over, David, and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom, and he is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever, and I will be his father, and he will be my son. And when he does wrong, here's God prophesying that Solomon's gone wrong somewhere. And when he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod of men, with floggings inflicted by men, but my love will never be taken from him. As I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you, your house and your kingdom will endure before me. Your throne will be established forever, David. Incredible words. 
incredible telling words. God says to David that unlike King Saul who rebelled against the Lord and was judged for it, Solomon would not be that way. He would sin and he would be punished for his sin. His kingdom would be torn from his hands. Perhaps his life was drawn short and the discipline of God came upon him. And Rehoboam, his son, fell heir to a very corrupted kingdom and made foolish decisions. And a high official, Jeroboam, took ten of the tribes and went off in a different way. But it says that God would not ever take his love from Solomon. What was the difference between Saul and Solomon? I think that actually in the narratives and the details that we have, we do see a difference between Saul and Solomon in some ways. But in other ways, we don't. They're both sinners. They both not just only sin in their youth, but even as they grow old, we see sin in in a gripping nature upon their lives. What was the difference between Saul and Solomon? One thing. Solomon is under the covenant that David and God had made. Saul was not. Now, I'm telling you, this could shake us. Grace is often a very difficult pill to swallow. We don't mind swallowing it if it's for us, but it is difficult to swallow it in other cases. What does it teach us? It teaches us that God's covenant love that is made with us as sinners is through Jesus Christ that we are kept eternally secure only and always by what Jesus Christ has done Though we may even in our own lives appear to be like Solomon where we have sinned, that God will discipline those he loves, punish us in this life, perhaps forfeit all kinds of grace and blessing that could have been ours, and maybe even cut our lives short on this earth. But because of Jesus Christ, he will never take his love from us. That's a radical statement. That's a radical grace. For the sake of Jesus Christ and Jesus alone, we have security. I think about the days that Pat and I were involved in prison ministry in Nova Scotia at Spring Hill Penitentiary, and many times it would be such a juxtaposition when I would go into the the prison and I would meet with with hardened criminals that that are doing life sentences, and I would find more of an appreciation for grace than I would the next Sunday in church in Nova Scotia. It's a teaching that we'll stumble over. You can examine two lives side by side and appear identical in human righteousness and goodness. But one of them is a true believer in God's grace. They may be punished and disciplined in this life, but they will not lose their place in glory. Another life which appears identical in its outward appearance of unrighteousness but may not have been a recipient of grace, yet they will be punished in the life to come. I may be wrong about Solomon. We don't know definitively, but we cannot judge Solomon based on his performance. We cannot judge Solomon because we don't see in Scripture somewhere where he repented, just as we cannot judge one another just because we don't see some kind of turning to God. Can you imagine if someone that was dying 
Someone saw the thief next to Jesus dying on the cross. Someone that was close enough to hear Jesus say, today you will be with me in paradise. Can you imagine them responding, are you kidding me? That guy's up on that cross because he killed my son. You can, I don't know the story, but, but can you imagine them thinking to themselves, he doesn't deserve paradise, he deserves damnation. The question is, do not all of us deserve that? Who are we? How can we judge? We can often stumble over grace. Can you imagine the older son in the prodigal son story? Dad, what are you doing? He squandered it all. He doesn't deserve... No, he doesn't. It's not about that. We don't get covenant love, folks. We don't get grace. We don't understand it. I have to conclude. I shared in the first service a couple of books, All of Grace by Charles Spurgeon, Grace Abounding, John Bunyan. Incredible. John Bunyan says I, he was struggling with his walk with God and he come, came to one day understand his righteousness was in heaven with Jesus Christ. It wasn't that God was watching, how are you performing, Christian? Let's see how good you're doing. It was in heaven with Jesus Christ. How many men, how many men are going to hit their deathbed at the age of 85? And in their lifetime, will have lusted after more than a thousand women whom Solomon had as wives and concubines. How many people are going to go down to the grave having coveted more things than Solomon even owned in his lifetime? And what does Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount about those who want to judge each other? He says, if you lust after a woman in your heart, you've committed that sin already. You see, we, we, we like to point the accusing finger. We forget that any and always, any of us that ever stand before the, the mighty God that we love and worship are going to be there because of grace. Grace to mighty sinners, grace to lesser sinners, but it's all grace. May God bless us to understand this. May God use the life of Solomon to warn us but may it also draw us to understand God's covenant love.